0: I could stay here forever.
1: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today. The following
0: podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about our clinical work, the Telehealth Center, we have brand new telehealth patient options now open for you and lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, almost every episode, we're giving away free healthy stuff for you. Every single month, no matter when you listen to this episode, we're giving away free signed books, supplements, my favorite healthy things that we have at drwillcole.com, and free telehealth consultations. So all you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You could leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you could take a screenshot of that review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, we'll be going through the messages on Instagram as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves, randomly picking winners every single month. And then I'll reach out to you. All right. Good luck. Let's get to today's guest. His name is Dr. Anthony Yoon. Dr. Yoon is known as America's holistic plastic surgeon, and he is a nationally recognized board certified physician. He's recognized as a leader in his field. He's the author of the best-selling books, The Age Fix in Stitches and Playing God. His public television special, The Age Fix with Dr. Anthony Yoon, has been viewed by millions. Dr. Yoon also hosts the popular podcast, The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. He is the most followed plastic surgeon on social media with over 4.5 million subscribers on his YouTube channel and over 8 million followers on TikTok. His new book, Younger for Life, is a complete holistic guide to turning back the clock using the process of autojuvenation. Let's get right to it. This is Dr. Anthony Yoon's art of being well. Dr. Yoon, my friend, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Will. This will be a lot of fun. Appreciate it.
0: I mean, I'm a super fan of yours, but I oh, you. we go over the case reviews for the day, right? I mean, yeah. you're there's patients, patients, patients. And then you obviously were on the schedule because we were talking in between consults and we're both seeing patients <laughs> full time. And my team they were geeking out the fact that I was talking with you today. Like, I watch his videos. I love him. Tell him hi. Oh, that's nice. So you, yeah. It's like, what? I mean, you are obviously doing real things to real people clinically, but you also have this amazing presence on social media. What's that like holding both of those paradigms? It's
1: it's fun. So I'm still a full-time plastic surgeon in private practice. I mean, I've written now four books, but I still operate two days a week. But for me, it's kind of this idea of holistic plastic surgery where I do operate, but it's always as a last resort. And so this whole social media thing has come around just the last few years, and it's been a lot of fun because... I think the main thing is just being able to help people. I mean, it's like you and I, like we can see 20 people in a day, we can help 20 people directly, or you can help hundreds of thousands a day, you know, in different ways by reaching them via social media. So it's really a lot of fun. And and honestly, it's a privilege to be involved in so many people's lives that I don't even know.
0: And we're doing that right now on the pod. So let's talk about even just that phrase, the fact that you are a pioneer in this space of holistic plastic surgery, which I think is maybe surprising. They've never heard that before. What? I thought those two different paradigms, <laughs> <It's kind laughs> a right, two different worlds, but yeah. you're, you're really showing us how it's done. What's that mean? First and foremost.
1: Yeah. So I went through all traditional medical training. So I have an MD from Michigan state university. I did three years of general surgery residency where I did trauma surgery and surgical ICU and all that. Then I did two years of plastic and reconstructive surgery. And then I spent a year out in Beverly Hills where I did a cosmetic fellowship out there with a big name plastic surgeon. And really I got to a point in my practice where I thought that I had reached the pinnacle of success. In surgery, there's this saying, to cut is to cure, or the only way to heal is with cold steel. And you're taught basically that the goal of being a surgeon should be to bring people to the operating room. And so for many years in my practice, That was what I looked at. And there are certain surgeries that you consider to be like the cream of the crop operation. So if you're a general surgeon, the operation that you really want to do, especially if you're in training, is the Whipple. The Whipple is a 10-hour massive cancer operation. And if you're so lucky that you can scrub into a Whipple, you know you've made it. In plastic surgery, it's probably the facelift. And so for many years in my practice, I actually gauged the success of my practice and even myself on how many facelifts I had on the schedule. And it wasn't until I had a patient of mine who had a horrible complication from a facelift, nothing that I could have done differently, nothing she could have done differently. Sometimes bad things just happen with surgery, no matter what you do, that it made me really relook at what I was doing with my career. And I came up with this idea of holistic plastic surgery, using actual plastic surgery as a last resort only, and then trying to figure out how can I get people to look and feel the way they want to ideally without going under the knife. And that then has evolved into this concept of auto juvenation and my new book, Younger for Life. My goodness,
0: we're going to go into this concept of auto so many non-invasive and less invasive options for yeah. people. But let's talk about this last resort, facelifts. I'm curious, I don't know the statistics, it's not my space. Are less people getting facelifts because there's so many cutting edge, less invasive options, or is it still about the same amount of people?
1: It is about, actually, facelifts are technically growing in number, uh, but there are some operations that aren't. So for example, brow lift surgery, Um, brow lifts can be done two different ways. You can do an open brow lift where you literally make an incision all the way across the scalp and you cut a portion of scalp off to lift the brows. You can also do it endoscopically with endoscopic equipment. That operation has gone down probably 90% because of Botox. Because instead of people doing brow lifts, they're just Botoxing their brows and their forehead and they're happy with it. But there are certain operations that continue to go up in number, but nowhere near the numbers of people undergoing non-invasive or minimally invasive procedures. Those are exploding. Surgery is gradually increasing and some surgeries are dropping, but all the non-invasive treatments and minimally invasive, they're all exploding.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about these things that are exploding in the non-invasive and minimally invasive space. Starting this conversation out and this topic is this phrase you mentioned earlier, autojuvenation. What's it mean?
1: So auto basically means using your body's own regenerative abilities to rejuvenate itself. And so for me, I have this firm belief, and I know that this is something that you've been great too with, is uh, your body has its own regenerative abilities, and it can turn back the clock naturally if you only give it the tools to do so. And those tools are very specific. It comes down to really five things, what you eat, when you eat, nutritional supplements, skincare. And non-invasive or minimally invasive treatments. Uh, and you don't have to be invasive at all. You can still see major, major changes in your skin. You can look upwards of 10 years younger if you focus on those five concepts of autojuvenation, And that's what now I'm really trying to get out there because I really believe that there, I'd say probably 80 to 90% of people can get the look that they want to, you know? I mean, it's, it's not fun to look in the mirror. You know, I just turned 51. It's not fun to look in the mirror at 51 and be like, wow, I really wish I looked like I did when I was 25. But there's so much now that we can do that doesn't involve surgery or even needles that can really turn back the clock.
0: Well, if how you look as any poster child for auto rejuvenation, you look 21. So it's amazing. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You're living, breathing auto rejuvenation right now. So maybe before we get into the specific procedures, maybe let's answer the question, why do we see accelerated skin aging? Like what are the top causes of why people are noticing it? Is it just age? You know, so many people are like, well, I'm just getting older, but we know that accelerated aging and we're we're faced with that in our modern world. So what are the top causes? Why are people aging faster? Well, and the fact
1: is, is that really aging in and of itself, 80% you can control. 20% is in our genes, but 80% you can definitely control. Now, really the way I look at skin aging, there are five main causes of aging of the skin. And all of these surprisingly enough, are impacted by the food that we eat. Not surprisingly, if you listen to your podcast. So first cause of aging of the skin is nutrient depletion. Second cause is inflammation, chronic inflammation specifically. Third cause is oxidation or free radicals. The fourth cause is collagen degradation. And the fifth cause is buildup of cellular waste. And so all of these really are impacted by the food that we eat. And, you know, just starting off with the first one, nutrient depletion, I guess it's a well-known opinion, I'd say, starting out that the food that we eat is less nutritious than it used to be. However, and this is something that's, you know, as, you know you've know, you talked about it, it's talked about all, all amongst our friends in the holistic medicine circles, but there actually was a study that proved this. It was a study that started in 1950 and it ended in 1999, and it actually looked at the nutritional content in various fruits and vegetables throughout these 49 years And found a significant reduction in at least six of them and those included the ones that really stuck out to me were iron vitamin c and protein so we do Mm -hmm. know that the foods that we're eating now the fruits and vegetables are less nutritious than they used to be and so one of the big things we encourage is to eat real whole foods to stay away from the ultra processed foods and i'm also a big fan of supplements because there are studies too that show that no matter what diet you have you you don't technically uh none of the Mm -hmm. diets that have been studied in one study that looked at 17 specific diets actually supplied all of the nutrients necessary to for the rda recommended daily allowances and so really Mm -hmm. i think focusing a lot of things that you have covered very well with eating real food and then adding those nutritional supplements can make a huge difference for people and for their skin
0: yeah so you said iron Vitamin C, what was the other one? You Protein. Mentioned? Protein, of course, yeah. I mean, that's something that I, without a doubt, and you think of skin health, vitamin C's implication in collagen synthesis, yep. protein's ability to be the building block for our tissue. Yep. Iron deficiency, I see ubiquitously yep. on labs, which is needed for hormone health and regeneration of our skin. Wow, I mean, that's, that's a tremendous study that you referenced. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, you're not alone. Millions of Americans are searching for ways to feel better, but feel they've exhausted every option and don't know where to turn. If that sounds like you, then guided ketamine therapy from Mindbloom could be a game changer. Mindbloom can help you feel better faster. Mindbloom is the leader in ketamine therapy, having helped tens of thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. MindBloom's expert clinicians and guides can help you feel better in days, not weeks, and you can complete treatment entirely from the comfort of home. In a study of over 1,000 MindBloom clients, 89% reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after only four sessions. Now, MindBloom has new programs that go beyond depression and anxiety to help you overcome challenges in everyday life. Right now, MindBloom is offering The Art of Being Well listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com slash Will and use promo code Will Cole. That's code W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E, all one word, at mindbloom.com slash Will Break free from your anxiety and depression and feel better, faster with MindBloom. Again, that's mindbloom.com slash Will And use promo code WillCole. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you probably know by now. I've been drinking AG1 for so many years. If you don't know about AG1, it's foundational nutrition. As somebody that looks at labs all day long, for telehealth patients, I can tell you, nutrient deficiencies are gonna really wreck so many different pathways in your body. If you have fatigue, brain fog, inflammation issues, immune issues, digestive problems. Just one scoop fills in the gaps of the most common nutrient deficiencies. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining the formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Think of AG1 like a multivitamin, multimineral, a probiotic blend, an adaptogen blend, a functional mushroom blend, and probably so much more. But those are the things that I think about. Just one scoop, you're really getting such a synergistic effect for your whole body. So AG1 is the supplement I love to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. Since honestly, day one, if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of immune supporting, energy supporting, mood supporting, vitamin D3, K2. You get a whole year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and also five free AG1 travel packs, which I carry with me wherever I go. You get both of those with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Will That's drinkag1.com slash Will Check it out. So what were the other five causes to yeah, so talk the, about them? So the
1: next one would be inflammation, specifically chronic inflammation. Now, there's a big difference between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation, especially when you're looking at the skin. Acute inflammation of the skin can actually be a really good thing. You, know, you get a laser treatment and you get some acute inflammation and your skin heals in a tighter fashion. You get, let's say, a cut on your skin. Your body creates acute inflammation to heal that cut. That's a good thing. But it's chronic inflammation that is a bad thing, and the major cause of chronic inflammation of our skin is sugar. And so, eating sugar can cause premature aging of our skin through two, through two main processes. First is glycation. So sugar can bond to the collagen of our skin, and it can form what are called advanced glycation end products or AGEs. And essentially, what sugar does so collagen itself is takes takes up about seventy to eighty percent of our skin, and collagen is a part of our skin that causes our skin to feel nice and tight and firm, and when you're youthful, it's nice and smooth. But as we get older, the collagen starts to get thinner. We lose about one to 2% of the thickness of our collagen every year. 1% starting in our mid-20s, women after menopause lose upwards of 2% of their collagen every year. And the way I describe it, the collagen of our skin is are like the logs of a log cabin. And as we get older, those logs start to fray. They start to fall apart. And where sugar comes in is you've got those logs that are falling apart. The collagen is starting to break down in your skin you have a high sugar diet, that sugar will bond to those collagen fibers and cause them to become permanently kinked. Those are the advanced glycation end products that will cause premature aging. And the second way that sugar causes premature aging in the skin is something you've covered very well is due to insulin spikes. So chronic sugar spikes cause chronic insulin spikes. You can get insulin resistance, and that in and of itself is a chronic inflammatory condition. And so inflammation being a huge cause of aging of the skin Sugar being a massive, massive cause of that.
0: Got it. And what's the next one? You mentioned some really fascinating ones that I don't want people to gloss over.
1: Yes. So the next one would be free radicals and oxidation. So this is something, you know, in our body, we have metabolism. Our body to be alive has to create free radicals essentially as a byproduct. Now our body also creates antioxidants, which essentially neutralize free radicals. Free radicals are dangerous for our body because they can actually damage the DNA of our cells and our skin cells as well. So antioxidants will help to fight that. So what do you do diet-wise for free radicals? Well, there are certain foods that are high in free radicals. A lot of people think free radicals, they think, oh, you get it from the sun, which is true, excess sun, you get it from pollution in the air, you get it from smoking, but you can actually get free radicals from ultra-processed foods. And so if you're eating too many ultra-processed foods, you're in, let's say, a bad environment, you're, you've got smoke and pollution around you, and you're not having enough antioxidants in your diet, then you can get into a state called oxidative stress, where your body has too many free radicals it can handle. And what happens? Your skin gets damaged, and now you get premature aging of the skin. And then the fourth cause that, we, that I mentioned is collagen degradation. I mentioned earlier, collagen is 70 80% of our skin. It gets thinner with age. We want to actually replenish the collagen of our skin as we get older. And how do you do that? You have to definitely eat enough protein because collagen is a large protein. And if you don't have enough protein in your diet, that collagen is, is going to get thinner. So that's the first step is to eat good, healthy sources of protein. Was that all of them? Was it
0: the top causes of skin aging?
1: And then the final one is going to be one of your favorites is build up of cellular waste. That's the one I,
0: okay. Yeah, I was right. like, I know there was metabolic waste, or cellular waste. It's such an important topic. Let's, yeah, let's go Yeah, and that's there.
1: something that, you know, I've been a fan of yours because I know you've been really at the forefront of this. But one of the things that happens and, and that causes our skin to actually age prematurely is that throughout life and just the fact of being alive, our cells will create cellular waste. And those cellular waste products could be used organelles. It could be proteins. It could even be discarded mitochondria that aren't functioning that yeah. well. And these can actually build up inside the cells of our skin. And unless you undergo a process called autophagy, your body, your cells cannot clear itself of this cellular waste. So that cellular waste can build up and it can cause our cells to function essentially less effectively and you function like you're older. And so what do you want to do? You want to basically clean out these cells. You want to undergo that process of autophagy where you are recycling that cellular, intracellular debris, that intracellular waste, and you can use that for energy. And so really essentially it's that intracellular cleaning up process. But in order to do that, what do you need to do? You need to stop eating for a while. You need to consider intermittent or intuitive fasting because that can really help. And I think, you know, you've been great with showing people like, you know, this type of intermittent fasting can really help with your metabolism. It can help with your health. But a lot of people don't realize that that can really, really help with your skin as well, and skin aging yeah. is a huge part of it. And we have put people on intermittent fasting on a 21 day jumpstart and found some really, really significant changes in their skin.
0: I love it. So the 21 day jumpstart is the protocol within your books. Everybody can do it for themselves. And yes. what's the name of the book again, so people can make so the sure book to get is it.
1: Younger for Life. And yes, there's a 21-day jumpstart where we basically put people, and it's very simple. So you go on a collagen-supporting, anti-inflammatory diet. So you get rid of the processed foods, uh, added sugar foods, the gluten, and the dairy. You essentially clean up your diet for a week. You uh, get on certain supplements that I recommend, and you start a very simple skincare routine. And then weeks two and three, we kind of take one week diet-wise where we just clean things up. And then weeks two and three, we add intermittent fasting into that, and as uh, a bonus, something that I haven't really seen much done before is when you are intermittent fasting, we just start by two days a week where you do a 16 hour fast. So you stop eating at 8 p.m. and then you restart eating at noon the next day. For the remainder of that day, we actually put people on what I call an autophagy supporting diet. And so Mm -hmm. we do know that there are certain foods that can help support the autophagy process. Those are healthy fats and polyphenol rich foods. And so for the rest of the day, we encourage people, hey, really focus on these healthy fats and these foods that are rich in polyphenols to theoretically support the autophagy process. And potentially, Mm -hmm. even though you're eating, you may still be getting some of the benefits of of autophagy even after you have started eating again. And so it's been something that has really, we've seen some really nice changes. It's not a huge sample size. I don't have a university backing of thousands of people, uh, but this has been great. And the change we've seen in people's skin, how they felt, you know, losing unwanted pounds, just has been amazing in just 21 days.
0: What are some of your favorite, you mentioned polyphenol rich foods that you have within the plan to
1: support autophagy in this way? So the ones that we focus on are gonna be bright colored berries. So like blackberries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. And then also darker vegetables, so dark green leafy vegetables, uh, even like black beans. And so really we try to focus on some of those darker colored fruits and vegetables that seem to have more of those polyphenols. Green tea, also a great source of polyphenols too.
0: I've seen some studies um, that I've written about before about bergamot, which is a citrus, another Mm -hmm. colorful food for sure. But citrus is specifically the... This, the extracts from Calabria and Italy and how it's supporting autophagy too and you can get obviously the whole fruit and and eat these citrus fruits that have been shown to support it but even like like real Earl Grey tea, which you mentioned, yeah. like tea, that Camellia sinensis, which green teas in that same plant group, yeah. and you could add bergamot, I guess, to green tea, but Earl Grey tea, not the like synthetic flavoring, but like the real bergamot oil, you get the catechins, yeah. the antioxidants, polyphenols from the tea as well as the bergamot oil. Are you familiar with Peak Tea?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I know peak tea very well. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool. Simon Chang's been on the podcast before a long time friend of mine. He, they have fasting teas where they have higher levels of bergamot for this reason. Like they have a green one, just like you're recommending with more bergamot oil. So yeah, I mean, they've got a great matcha too. My wife
1: loves peak tea just because she doesn't want to have all those tea bags everywhere. And it's kind of nice because you just have a little satchel and you put it in. So yeah, yeah. It's It's a great brand. That's my wife's favorite.
0: I love it. Mine too. Let's like delineate and maybe have like buckets. Mm-hmm. We'll go to non-invasive and then minimally invasive. Honestly, the, I mean, first and foremost, the things we just talked about, completely non-invasive, like do the things that Dr. Yoon's just said to do. But are there any other therapies, modalities, like cutting edge things that people are getting in the non-invasive space beyond... These things you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think that if you were going to say, hey, what's a good bang for my buck? You know, you're in Pittsburgh, I'm in Detroit, and a lot of our followers aren't necessarily in New York and LA where they have access to tons of med spas and stuff. So what Mm -hmm. I encourage people to do is if you're, if let's say you're on a limited budget or you don't have access, let's say you live in an area that doesn't have a good med spa or dermatologist or plastic surgeon, then the first thing I would start with is red light therapy. Now, red light therapy comes in a lot of different forms. You can do like a handheld device where you treat a quarter of your face at a time. I'm not a big fan of those because it's just more work. Uh, there are tabletop devices that I think are really good. There are these creepy looking ma- Hannibal Lecter masks that you wear around. <laughs> I've that seen them, yeah. Out, yeah, and then there are even full body beds that some people get to. Now, interestingly enough, with red light therapy, it's super popular in the holistic communities, but if you ask dermatologists and plastic surgeons, a lot of them will give you a blank stare. It's very interesting, Well, that it's, Talked about a lot amongst our alternative medicine friends, but in amongst traditional medicine, nobody talks about it. So the belief that, of how these work essentially is that that red light, the energy from the red light essentially will be transferred to your mitochondria. And so if you do it, the idea behind your skin is to get transferred to the mitochondria of your skin. The mitochondria are the powerhouses of your cells. And so the idea is that that energy will then cause those mitochondria to be supercharged to create more ATP and your cells are essentially functioning like younger cells. Similar ideas with autophagy, you know, you want your cells Mm -hmm. to function as if they're younger. Now, I don't know if that's ever been proven, but I know that that's the way we believe it works. Now, I did look for some studies though, because that's something where once again, the question is, is why aren't plastic surgeons and dermatologists talking about red light therapy? The fact is that there are studies that do show that red light therapy can improve your skin. Uh, There was a study that looked at, I think it was like 1,100 people, they had red light therapy for 90 days, and 90% of them had an improvement in the smoothness of their skin and 80% in the plumpness of their skin. There have even been split face studies where they take half the face, treat half the face with red light therapy, the other half without, and found a reduction in wrinkles, an improvement in elasticity and the firmness of the skin. Hopefully they didn't do this test for that long and they could treat the other yeah, side right. of the face too. Yeah, I would not want to be
0: that person. No, there's
1: definitely <laughs> proof that red light therapy works. It's relatively inexpensive if you consider you can do it in this comfort of your own home. That's the place I would start for non-invasive treatments.
0: Any other ones that, that catch your eye?
1: There are simple things that you can do that I think are very good. You know, microneedling is a very controversial thing to do at home. Dermatologists are not big fans of dermal rollers that you roll over the skin that have basically Mm -hmm. these little pins in them. But there actually is dermal stamping that some people are doing now where it's simply a stamp. The idea behind dermal rollers that people don't like is it can cause tearing of the skin and uneven pokes of the skin essentially. The idea behind this treatment overall though is what we mentioned earlier, like acute inflammation or acute trauma can actually be beneficial for your skin. And so the idea is that if you make this little puncture in the skin, the collagen will be damaged by that puncture. And if you damage the collagen in a very controlled, minimal fashion, that collagen, as it heals, will heal in a tighter fashion. It's like those logs of log cabin kind of getting put back together in a tighter fashion Mm -hmm. as they're fixed up. And so, any treatment, whether it's a laser treatment, which uses light energy, a chemical peel, which uses acids, or microneedling, which uses a a little needle to poke your skin, creates trauma, and that collagen can then get tighter afterwards. So, Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, Dermal rolling, not super popular amongst dermatologists, mainly because of the potential tearing. There are now stampers that you can use where you just stamp the skin. And that I think is a very reasonable option to do that at home. Just be careful. You don't want those needles longer than about half a millimeter or so. You don't want to create scarring. All
0: right, so under the non-invasive section, and obviously you'll talk about this at length in the book, but anything, like what are some of your favorite supplements? I mean, maybe you're... I want to know, are you a fan of supplements at all? Yeah. And if so, are there any like ones that stand out to support this auto
1: Yeah, so I'm definitely a fan of supplements. I think the, the biggest one, so for me and, and in the book, what we did, especially with the 21-day jumpstart is we put people on a very simple supplement regimen. You know, I'm not a person that's taking 50 pills a day, mm-hmm. but very simple. This is what I recommend for all people, essentially, if you want beautiful skin. I always recommend taking a multivitamin. I mentioned earlier nutrient depletion, so multivitamin is good. Uh, I recommend taking an omega-3 fatty acid supplement. I recommend one typically with fish oil. Obviously, algae is fine as well if you're uh, plant-based. I recommend a daily probiotic. We do know that there is a connection between the gut microbiome and the skin, and a more healthy gut microbiome will definitely show on your skin. I also recommend an antioxidant supplement. You know, it's not enough just to eat the rainbow fruits and vegetables, which I think is a great start, but I do recommend taking an antioxidant supplement, ideally one with numerous antioxidants like resveratrol uh, to help. And then the final one that is controversial amongst some circles is collagen. Mm-hmm. Collagen, I think I'm a big fan of collagen. For some reason, traditional doctors poo-poo it. I get so many comments on social media where I go, you know, I'm a big fan of taking collagen for your skin. They go, oh, my doctor says it doesn't work. Well, that is hooey. Collagen actually does work. Uh, and that is one of my favorite supplements.
0: Hey, those are, I mean, people will ask me like, well, I, I don't have a functional medicine doctor. I'm doing this do- on my own. Yeah. Like what are the essentials that I think? And all the ones you mentioned, I maybe add a methylated B vitamin too, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you recommend as well. Like it's so basic. And it'll be in the multivitamin yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. But those are just so essential. And I agree, like we talk about protein. I mean, as as a one, it shouldn't be the only protein source, but marine collagen I find it to be one of the most well tolerated and not just, it doesn't have to be just marine collagen, but collagen is one of the best well-suited sources of protein when so many people are taking these protein powders and they're having reactions, gut problems to it or food Mm -hmm. sensitivities to it. Because of this epidemic of gut health problems, I'm right there on the same page as you for sure. And
1: science actually does support it. You know, there's so many people, it's interesting, Will, that I was, uh, there's a doctor on TikTok and he's a weight loss surgeon. And he made a video a couple of years ago about collagen, saying collagen supplements don't work. And he's got a big gray beard and he speaks very much like he's like the source of information. Yeah. And so he said, you know, collagen supplements don't work. If you really want collagen, just save the money and go buy some gelatin. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm not going to argue with him. That's okay. But interestingly, a few weeks ago, he had a new video come up and it's him watching his old video where collagen doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And he swipes it away and he goes, I was wrong. Collagen no. supplements do work. I was floored. And he goes, you know, wow. sometimes in medicine, we think one thing and when the studies come out and you look at the science, you are corrected. And so what do the studies say about collagen? You know, the idea of some people poo-poo collagen, go, oh, it's a large protein. And that's true. Collagen creams don't work because collagen is a large protein. It's not going to get through your barrier function of your skin. But The key that a lot of people don't realize is that collagen supplements typically are broken down into hydrolyzed collagen peptides. And these are essentially single amino acids or groups of two or three amino acids that are much smaller and that your gut can actually absorb. And there are actually studies that have looked at this. There was one study of over 1,100 people. They took collagen hydrolyzed collagen peptides for 90 days and saw a statistically significant improvement in the wrinkles and the hydration and elasticity of the skin. It was a meta-analysis, so it was a combination of multiple studies put together, but statistically significant. There have even actually been randomized clinical-controlled trials, placebo-controlled, where people would be on collagen supplements for a couple of months, and then they would actually biopsy their skin later and find the skin to be thicker and to have a higher amount of collagen in it. So, I mean, the jury is not out with collagen. Mm-hmm. it's The science is there to support it. I just think that right now, a lot of people in traditional medicine they just haven't read the studies. And so they're mm. automatically anti-supplement. And so your family doctor may say, oh, it doesn't work. But then you would have to ask, have you actually looked into the studies? And the answer is probably mm. going to be no.
0: Yeah, well said. And I, I could say cl- in the clinical realm, I see such a game changing, like in people's skin, their hair, their nails, with a combination of things, like there's no magic pill, but that in in concert, they're all supportive. and And I see them all independently being needle movers. Like when we, bring them in independently but then together like you're saying you're recommending all these things that really enhance and amplify work synergistically because they are the raw materials that our body needs to make healthy tissue to rebuild collagen the active ingredients found in premixed vitamin drinks and kombuchas diminish sharply over time but Karma's unique push cap protects vitamins and nutrients until you're ready to drink it ensuring you get the full nutritional benefits Karma's new hydration kits combine everything I love about the brand's ready-to-drink line of functional waters with an enhanced level of convenience and customization. Each kit comes with a four-week supply of the Karma push cap that can be fully customized, and Karma designed a new BPA-free reusable bottle specially designed for its patented push cap. Customers can choose from a combination of Karma's three existing functional lines to create their own customized kit. They have the Karma Wellness Water, which is amazing, delicious, multivitamin, functional water. They have the Karma Probiotic Water, which again, is gut got health support. You get probiotics in the water and Karma CBD Water, which gets you your CBD, your calming, inflammation, balancing water. So think of it like this. So many people aren't staying hydrated. They're not drinking enough water. Part of that is water for the average person isn't fun, isn't tasty. So for this, you're not picking one or the other. You can get the benefits of water, which is hydration, and you can actually make it fun into this wellness ritual, if you will, by infusing your water with Karma's amazing functional water line. My family loves it and I know you're going to love it. Visit drinkkarma.com slash Will Cole for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash Will Cole for 15% off and free shipping on your first order. My telehealth team swears by these products from TN Dickinson's. They turned me on to it. I'm a fan of it as well. And then I went home and I told my wife about T.N. Dickinson's and she said, what the heck? I've been using T.N. Dickinson's for years as well. I didn't even know that. T.N. Dickinson's is the brand families have trusted for gentle and effective personal care, first aid and skincare for over 150 years. T.N. Dickinson's 100% natural clinical grade, witch hazel, that's naturally astringent, it gently cleanses, soothes and treats so Many skin needs for the whole family. They have the 100% natural astringent clinical grade Witch Hazel that is the number one astringent brand in the world and suitable for everyone in the family. It's gentle enough for daily use, or you can use it for first aid needs as well, but anywhere on your face and your body. It effectively cleanses, soothes, and relieves oily, irritated, red, damaged, and blemished skin a natural astringent. If you're also looking for an alcohol-free product, check out their moisturizing astringent. It is formulated with hyaluronic acid and also aloe to hydrate and soothe skin while still cleansing. It is perfect for dry, sensitive, irritated skin. They also have their soothing cleansing cloths made with 100% natural clinical grade witch hazel so you can get it on the cloths as well. The cloths are gentle enough for daily face and body cleansing and perfect for wiping sticky hands after snack time in the car. Visit tndickinson's.com slash Will for more information and to purchase. So let's move into minimally invasive things, procedures, things that you're excited about. What should people be looking into? What,
1: what are you fascinated with? So one of the things I think is really interesting is there's a treatment called Morpheus 8 and it's radiofrequency microneedling. So I mentioned earlier, microneedling, basically you take little needles essentially and you poke the skin. So that's Mm -hmm. what traditional microneedling is. We have actually automated devices in our office that we can do that. And if you were to ask me, what's the biggest bang for your buck in cosmetic medicine, then microneedling would definitely be one of the top ones. The reason why is that the treatments are relatively inexpensive. Now it may cost a plastic surgeon like myself, $200,000 to buy a laser. It may cost me $100,000 to buy an IPL device, but it costs me about $4,000 to buy a microneedling device. And you know that the cost of each of these devices is going to be passed off onto the patient. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at what you get for the treatments, microneedling on its own is a very, very cost-effective treatment if you're looking to overall smooth your skin, to tighten the skin modestly, just to improve the texture of your skin. So now what do you do if you want to take that to the next level? Well, you take that to the next level and you apply PRP over the surface of your skin. So your microneedle skin, you're making these tiny little pokes in the skin. And those little holes that are made by those needles can actually act as channels for PRP, platelet-rich plasma, to actually seep down into those channels to help to affect and really anti-age the skin from the inside out. And so if you're open to doing that, the doctor or the nurse can draw some blood from your arm, they spin it down, they remove the platelets, which are chock full of growth factors, and they apply that to the surface of your skin immediately after microneedling, allowing that the PRP to really seep into those tiny little holes and to help to anti-age your skin from the inside out. Now, Morpheus 8 takes that to the next level, where now you've got these pins that go into the skin, these needles, but the majority of the needle is actually insulated, except the tip. And the tip that's not insulated emits radio frequency energy or heat. And so now the idea is that you create heat in the deeper skin that can cause the collagen to become denatured. And as that collagen heals, it heals in a tighter fashion. So you get the benefit of the trauma, of the needle poke, the heat from the device. And after you have that done, if you want to throw some PRP on top of that, Now, you're getting the regenerative abilities of your skin to also, of of your body to also help to rejuvenate the skin. So that's really exciting. The thing that's, I think, on the horizon now is what happens when you add exosomes into this. Exosomes Mm. right now are something we cannot use legally, unfortunately. The FDA won't allow us to, but that's going to be the next stage. You're talking about stem factors from stem cells that can really potentially create some major changes. Wow, fascinating. So
0: I per, I'm, I haven't really said this on the podcast before I posted about it in social media. I have done PRP, I've done microneedling, because I'm fascinated with this stuff. And I have a lot of friends, like yeah. comp, we have mutual friends in this space. And I'm their guinea pig. The PRP, I've done microneedling, and I've done morpheus I've loved them all. Yeah. I think they're a great, great tools. So I'm glad that I got the stamp of approval from someone as esteemed as you oh, are. thank you. Wh- wh- why exosomes? I mean, why is it illegal at this point? Like, what's the controversy around it?
1: Well, you know, I feel exosomes are different than stem cells. You know, I think that there's so much power and potential in stem cells that i do think a lot of people in traditional medicine are afraid you know there are plastic surgeons i know who before the ban went into effect i think what a year two years ago doctors were toying with stem cells and i think that they were doing things with stem cells that maybe they shouldn't be and Mm. but i think people don't realize that exosomes are different they're not the same same as actual stem cells and really you can get some anti-aging benefit from it you know these are just Mm. cellular signal signal activators essentially of the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, peptides kind of do the same thing, yet peptides are illegal to use. So my hope is that the FDA soon figures out that, you know what, these exosomes are not as dangerous as we may have thought, and they could have a lot of clinical potential in them. But other than that, or maybe politics, I'm really not sure why. Yeah, I know. It's so complex above our pay grade politics, right? <laughs> like,
0: who knows? Conflict of interest, my guess. But all right. So let's go to something that I've been hearing certain friends of mine. I have not done this. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about
1: it. Have you heard of AirSculpt? Do you have an opinion about that? So there's all these types of liposuction treatments to come around and they all come out with these funny names. You know, there once was one called Tickle Lipo and it's like, oh, <laughs> look, it doesn't hurt. It tickles. It's like, no, it's still <laughs> freaking liposuction. <laughs> so, you know, really with liposuction, sculpt being also, I, I, I haven't looked specifically into AirSculpt. It's something that I've just started hearing about myself, but my feeling from what I've heard through the grapevine is that this is just another kind of version of less invasive lipo, but it's still surgery. You know now there are ways to get rid of fat that are non-surgical that do work. The one that I recommend is called sculpture, and this is a laser that can target fat. Typically, you treat four basically card-sized areas at one time and it heats the fats to a certain temperature where some of those fat cells will actually die. And the temperature essentially at the surface, if you keep it at like forty two degrees, anything below or higher than that below the surface can potentially disrupt those fat cells and then you essentially pee or poop the fat out later.. On. <laughs> And that yeah. definitely works. Cool sculpting is the other one that's really popular. I'm not as big of a fan of cool sculpting just because there is a risk of what we call paradoxical adipose hyperplasia, where you can do cool sculpting, which essentially freezes mm. the fat and it crystallizes those fat cells. And the idea is that those fat cells will die. But there's about a 1% chance that the opposite happens, where you actually gain fat in that area instead. And I have treated two patients. Uh, over the last five or six years who've had that, you know, I had one who had mm. cool something under the neck and she came to see me with this massive double chin, like huge. Another one that had on the abdomen who had these just large rolls that she didn't have before. And we did tummy tuck on the one woman and had liposuction the other one, and they're happy now, but yeah, that's, Got it. yeah, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'd love to get your hot take on different topics. Some of them may be controversial yeah. and certainly a lot, all of these things are things I get, a, I get questions about a lot. Yeah. So first thing is something that we see a lot clinically. I mean, I deal with, I deal with a lot with people with autoimmune problems and these, what the world would call mystery illnesses. Uh, I know what you're going to ask topic. You, you know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm, I'm you know what I'm going to say? BII breast yeah. implant illness, pretty controversial, I don't think it is, I don't know why yeah. that it is, but maybe it's the overstatement sometime in social media. I don't know why, but what's your thought on it? Is it a thing or not from your perspective?
1: So I'll tell you my story with BII. I haven't had BII, but my story with BII yes. as a practitioner. So I mentioned, I went through <laughs> Let's traditional that. Let's medical that. training yeah. and we were always taught the dogma in surgery is that breast implants are safe. They don't make people sick. And I always believe that because that was what my mentors all told mm-hmm. me. That's what we were taught at our conferences and everything. And so I think what happened, so the history of implants is that silicone breast implants, uh, people were concerned about it back in the late 80s and early 90s, 90s about them potentially causing autoimmune diseases and systemic illness. So in 1992, the FDA put a moratorium on the silicone implants saying they're only allowed to be used in an FDA approved study. So, from 1992 to 2006, the only implants we used were saline implants. The silicone implants were used in the government approved study. And then in 2006, the moratorium was lifted because they found in those studies supposedly no increased risk of these issues. And then plastic surgeons took this as our dogma is true implants are safe. All of this other stuff of them getting sick off of it is hogwash, and let's move 100% forward. Now, fast forward about 10 years. And websites start popping up. People have websites about BII saying, look, I had implants. I got sick. I had them taken out. I'm feeling much better. Facebook groups start getting popular. You've got tens of thousands of women who are going on Facebook groups telling their stories. And here am I as one of the leaders in plastic surgery in our societies saying, well, this is interesting. I haven't heard a lot about this before. And so I said, well, all the studies supposedly say that, that it's not real. So I go to these websites and I start looking at the studies that they're citing. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard of these studies. These are not in the plastic surgery literature or plastic surgery journals. They're in the rheumatology journals. They're in internal medicine journals. So I started looking at these studies. and I started thinking there is something here that I was never told. So I went public with this many years ago and the backlash was pretty harsh. There were uh-huh. plastic surgeons calling me saying, you've got to shut up about this. I actually was a, one of the big up-and-comers in one of our societies, potentially on track to eventually become president of the society, and all of my committee assignments were gone. The next, literally, <sighs> literally within a few months, I lost all my committee assignments and was basically oh persona non grata. So my belief with BII is this, you know, I still do a lot of breast augmentation surgery. You and I have friends in the holistic medicine space who talk all about, you know, clean stuff, and they have implants. I think the majority of women most likely can do just fine with implants, but there are a percentage of women who will get sick from them. And we don't quite understand why we don't quite understand how, but we have to listen to them because there is truth there. Studies show that if you have implants and you have symptoms coming from that you believe are from these implants and they're fatigue and brain fog and rashes and hair loss, if your implants are removed, you have about a 55 to 85% chance that your symptoms will get better. But if you come into it and let's say you've got autoimmune, like you've been actually diagnosed with Raynaud's, you've been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or scleroderma, and then you have your implants taken out, it's unlikely your symptoms are going to get much better. You know, So mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference. There are people who truly have autoimmune disease and they have implants and those implants are removed. They don't seem to get much better. But then there are those people who have unexplained autoimmune type symptoms, but mm-hmm. not actual diagnosed autoimmune disease a percentage of those you take them out and they do seem to improve.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you for clarifying that. Love that insight from somebody, you know, that's, you know, in the center of this world. And I, I, I'd say, I, I see similar things. I, it's a personal decision. I don't have, I don't recommend every patient go and remove. I'm not hyperbolic in that way and Mm -hmm. like over dramatizing something. It's a personal decision at some point in some people's journey, they make that decision for themselves and we give our perspective and what we've seen and work with whoever's doing the explant to coordinate and support their health and their immune system and recovering. And I see it being a significant needle mover for some people, and I see some people being small, and then for some people, not at all. But it's interesting, once people have made that decision for themselves, the people that they don't see any noticeable change, Mm -hmm. even though sometimes we do see changes on labs, but they're, I don't see them really regretting it, right? They they mm-hmm. almost have like that peace of mind of yeah. knowing, hey, this is not a variable I have to think about. Obviously, they went to see changes, but it's interesting the sort of emotional relationship. Like, that's a personal decision to make. They obviously got it because they wanted it. So,
1: yeah. I think the difficult everybody. thing is if there's some way we can do a preoperative test to say, oh, you've got breast implant illness. Your lab on this right. is this number, so you've got right. BII. But unfortunately it's a diagnosis of exclusion and therein yeah, is the challenge. Yeah. You know, I see people, women who come to see me, like, I think I may have BII. So I say, you know, they go, how, how can I tell? And I tell them like, look, look, the only thing we can do is take your implants out. And they're like, but I love my implants. Like, I don't think I am willing to do that. And so mm-hmm. that can be a conundrum and a difficult situation for so many women who they love what they are seeing and, and how they feel from their implants, but they think they may, might be making them sick. Like, what do you do? And, and it's it's just tough. I think what we need, and, and I do commend this, the the societies now, you know, it's different than it was when I was coming up, you know, people they are now doing studies, there are actual at our main conferences, there are lectures being done on BII pretty much every year at our conferences, they talk about it, they discuss it, I've actually been invited back and have asked to talk about BII in the past, like year or two. So I think that the people are hearing the news that, look, you know, this is a real thing and we need to take it seriously. You know, there's still those old school surgeons that drive me nuts. You know, I had a woman come to see me a couple months ago and I did implants on her like 12, 15 years ago. Her husband was having surgery by another plastic surgeon in town, an older guy. And she told this older guy, she said, look, I'm, I've got implants and I think they may be making me sick. And you know what he said? He said, let me refer you to a psychiatrist wow and that was his response like, it's overt medical gaslighting i mean since it's, it's not even trying to hide it's it's terrible and so unfortunately yeah. we are still dealing with that in my specialty but more and more people are i think feeling comfortable to come out like it's you know for me i feel a little credit because i took some of the heat initially but yeah. now there are a lot of other plastic surgeons who are coming out and saying hey you know what i have a open mind about this stuff you know, I'm taking them out, but I'm also not necessarily saying everybody should have their implants taken out. You know, right. they're, they're poison sacks that you need to remove. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's I think like most things in life, there's there's a something, you know, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. You know, yes, it's yes. not like they're all safe or they're not safe for anybody. It's there's somewhere in the middle. And unfortunately, we've got to try to find where that middle is
0: yeah absolutely i have so many patients that have breast implants choose to keep them in and they're completely fine and reclaim their health with their implants in just to be clear on that and you know i I have seen certain correlations within the community And I I could say it maybe be a component to this, but certainly not everything, because many people have these gene variants that are completely fine. Mm -hmm. But a homozygous MTHFR at that C677T variant, which is there's a high correlation overlap between that and different autoimmune problems. Mm -hmm. My mind goes to these different SNPs that some people have paired with probably some epigenetic variables too. But Mm -hmm. like you said, there's no like clear diagnostic criteria at this point to Um, say you're for sure going to have a problem with BII because it's not that simple at this point.
1: We don't even have a percentage. You know, I do consultations and we're like, what are the chances I'm going to get this? And it's like, we don't even know. Like I'd at least be, I'd love to say, hey, you have a 12% chance of getting BII, you know? We can say we have all these other statistics and percentages, but we just don't even have that. And, and that's what's unfortunate. But the, the societies and, and researchers are doing research as we speak to get these types of numbers. So I'm happy with what we're seeing now. I think that plastic mm-hmm. surgeons are taking this seriously. I think there's still those that are very financially, I think, driven. And for them, it, it's their cash cow. You know, there are mm-hmm. a lot of people who are doing these studies on these implants are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by implant companies to actually conduct these, these studies. You know, so I mean, they're yes, they will admit, you know, and and they disclose that they have this conflict, but they still are the ones that are typically doing these studies. And so you just got to wonder. And the studies that that they did perform when the FDA lifted the moratorium, when you actually looked at autoimmune issues, that was not what they focused on with these studies. They focused Mm -hmm. on the more direct surgical complications like capsular contracture, like bleeding, you know, like poor scarring and that type of thing. It really wasn't focused on all these autoimmune symptoms at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for that. All right. Let me ask you, get your hot take on a few other things. Sure. I almost every ask me anything that I do on social media, people ask me, what are my thoughts in functional medicine on Botox? I'd love to get your thoughts on Botox.
1: So Botox is the most popular cosmetic treatment in the history of the world. It's all, <laughs> and, and so really the way it works for your listeners who maybe never thought about it or don't really know is it's a powerful toxin made by a bacteria. And if you inject the smallest amount of this into Dr. Will Cole, he will die within (laughs) minutes. But if you inject the most minuscule amount into the little muscles that create wrinkles of the forehead or the frown lines or the crow's feet, it will block the transmission of nerve impulses to that muscle for about three to four months, causing those muscles to weaken or technically be paralyzed and the wrinkles caused by those muscles to smooth out. All right, so there's a difference between dynamic wrinkles and static wrinkles. Dynamic wrinkles are caused by muscles and are typically the wrinkles of the upper face. Static wrinkles are the wrinkles typically in the lower face. They're more caused by gravity and droopiness. So Botox treats those dynamic wrinkles. Now, like I said, results last about three to four months. It's a super easy treatment. Little needle pokes with the tiniest needle. You may get a little bruise from it. We inject Botox all day. I've got five injectors in my office that inject it all day. We've probably injected upwards of 20,000 people over the last 20 years, And the most that I've ever seen, the worst I've ever seen or heard of from my patients is I think two patients with a droopy eyelid for a couple of months. And that's it. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, there are mouse studies that that show that if you inject Botox into the facial muscles of a mouse, you can actually find some Botox in their CSF, their cerebral spinal fluid. Mm -hmm. We don't know of any ramifications of that. This was just a mouse study. There are people online, if you look for Facebook groups and you go down the rabbit hole, you will find people who believe that they have systemic symptoms and issues from Botox. It's nowhere near what you see with breast implants, nothing compared to that, but there are those people. Um, So I think, you know, for me, I do believe in bioindividuality. I think that some of us, we just don't react the same way as others, and we have to keep Mm -hmm. that in mind. And I think that to make a blanket statement that is fine for everybody is a dangerous Mm -hmm. statement to make. But also I think in general, it's fine for the vast majority of people yeah. and it's super effective. I actually will have, during the pandemic, I found myself in an empty office for two and a half months and I opened up my <laughs> fridge and I had this, you know, a, a vial of Botox cost me over $600 and I open up my fridge, all my employees are gone. Everything's closed. And I find this nearly full vial of Botox and I'm like, dang, what am I going to do with this? So I did what I had to, I injected myself with it just so I didn't waste it at all. And and even I, who I am very needle phobic, I tolerate it just fine.
0: <laughs> I love it. I agree with you too. I deal with a patient base that tends to be more sensitive. I don't see any effects from people who choose to get it. What do you think of these? Not like they're the same active ingredient, but they're like different brand names who claim to be more pure or, you know, last longer. Any other ones you like, or do you prefer like the main Botox?
1: So brand. each one has a, a little bit different properties. So Botox is what we do. Probably about 70% of my patients get Botox because it's the brand name and because they know exactly what they're going to get. So when you inject Botox, it spreads, but not a lot. There's another one called Dysport, which about 30% mm-hmm. of my patients get, been around for a long time. The name stinks. The initial name was Reloxin, which is much better, but then somehow they set it on the name Dysport. I think that's one reason why the market share is not great. But the <laughs> idea with disport is it spreads a little bit more and the result is a little bit softer. So some people who, who they say, look, I really want to get rid of my lines and, and like I don't want my forehead to move at all. Botox may be a bit better for them. Other people say, look, I just want to kind of soften things and I'm okay with more movement. Dysport may be better for them. There's zmn, which some people call pure tox, which is supposedly a little more pure in toxin. Uh, I've not used it before. The studies show that it was kind of comparable to Botox. I don't have a whole lot to say about that one. I think it's safe. Uh, mm-hmm. Jevo is also another botulinum toxin alternative that some people love it. In my practice, it didn't really work as well. And then the newest one is called Daxify. That one was FDA approved not that long ago results appear to last upwards of six months. That too is like Botox, where it appears that where you inject it, it kind of just stays there. You don't get a lot of spread and it supposedly does get much longer results. Now we started using that about three months ago. I had that done, I think about three months ago and it seems to still be working on me. Got it. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. All right, let's go into
0: fillers. People think of fillers as like the overdone like yeah. person that really gets so much excessive stuff. That's not what it is today. What are your thoughts on fillers? What should people be looking out for?
1: So I'll tell you, back in 2004, I co-authored one of these seminal papers in plastic surgery on the idea that the face ages in three dimensions. It's called a volumetric facelift. And it was one of the first papers where we described doing an actual lift of the face, but adding fat into the face as a volumization. Before that, most people looked at facial aging as two dimensions. So things sag and you lift it. So you do a facelift, a neck lift, you know, eyelid lift. So we, we t- started talking about, hey, you can use fat to plump up the face because the face technically ages in three dimensions. Not only do you get sagging, but you also get loss of volume. And so like anything in plastic surgery, you know, you have come up with a good idea and a little bit of something is a great thing, but a lot of something is a bad thing. So now you've got these people in Hollywood, they're getting these pillow faces, You have all these new fillers now that we have that some of them are FDA approved for the cheeks, some of them approved for the lips, others are approved like under the eyes and stuff. And people are just injecting basically too much. Filler I think is a very powerful tool if you use it very sparingly, use it very cautiously. I think it can be very, very powerful. And we're using a lot more filler now. We we don't use fat much at all anymore because filler is so much easier. But the key with filler and safety in filler is you wanna make sure that it's a hyaluronic acid filler, HA. Hyaluronic acid is a naturally occurring substance in the skin. It's like a moisturizer of the skin. And the reason why it's important to use that is because it's 100% reversible, okay? Mm -hmm. The main thing you need to worry about if you get injections of filler, is that a filler is accidentally injected into a blood vessel, specifically an artery, and that artery supplies a part of your face, and that artery gets clogged, that part of your face that is supposed to get blood supply from that artery, can literally become ischemic, meaning it can turn purple and it can actually die. And there are Mm. people who've lost parts of their nose, parts of their lip, and other parts of their face from poorly injected filler. Now, if you have an HA filler, hyaluronic acid like Juvederm or Restylane, we can inject an antidote, an enzyme called hyaluronidase that will technically melt it away. But Mm -hmm. if you have silicone injected or there's some other fillers on the market that I'm not going to mention brand name wise, but they're not HA and you actually get that injected into a blood vessel, you're just screwed. Like there's not much you can do. Go into hyperbaric, put some warm compresses on it, get maybe on some heparin, some blood thinners and pray to God that that body part comes back. So go with an HA filler. If you're going to do fillers, use the least amount necessary and avoid the danger triangle. The danger triangle is basically the nose coming up around the brows, between the eyebrows, that area, if you, if filler is injected overly aggressively, you can actually go mm-hmm. blind from it. Mm-hmm. So you just gotta be real careful with fillers.
0: Okay, wow. So look out for HA fillers, like those are the ones, if you decide to do it, go for those. Yeah, um, and less great. is
1: more with fillers, definitely. I, I think it's a great tool, but you have to, at, for me as a practitioner, you we ha- we're very, very careful with it.
0: Got it. Judicious use, Yes. Low and slow. Take it easy, people. All right, BBL. I see it on social media. I don't even know really what it is, but
1: it's, tell me what it is and so, what's the controversy around it. So BBL stands for Brazilian butt lift. And essentially it's liposuctioning fat from one part of your body, like your thighs or your hips or your tummy, purifying that fat and then injecting it into the butt. And this is what a lot of people claim that certain celebrities like Kardashians have had done because there's no sign. they you know, it's not butt implants or not silicone implants. So you get an X-ray of your butt and it doesn't show anything. And so for many, many years, this was considered to be a really safe operation until we started hearing about deaths coming from the Florida, specifically the Miami area. And mm. what we found is that what we thought was a safe operation where you, you, know, you do some lipo then you inject in the butt, what's a big deal? Is that the butt itself has these large, Muscles called the gluteus maximus muscles and the gluteus minimus muscles. When you inject fat into a body part, the way that the fat stays is that you need to have new blood vessels grow into the fat to supply blood to that fat so it will stay. And what is a part of our body that has the most blood supply? Our muscles. Our muscles are filled with blood. And so Mm -hmm. there's a belief that if you inject fat into those muscles, you're going to get better take of the fat and you're going to have a better result. So Doctors are doing this out in Florida and people are dying left and right from this operation. And these are not 80-year-old people, 70-year-old people, let's say coming in for a face-up with multiple medical issues. We're talking about young women, often young women of color. And Mm. so a survey was done, found a one in 3,000 death rate, mortality rate from these operations back then. And we believe now after doing studies that it was mainly due to injecting fat into that muscle because there's huge blood vessels in those muscles the fat goes through into those blood vessels, through the muscle, into those blood vessels. And it's literally like, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's like you've got the Death Star and you've got Luke Skywalker hitting those two little missiles going right there. Those are like those two missiles going to your heart and you can die mm. within minutes. And that's what happens. Wow. A lot of studies have been done and you can do it safely, but your doctor needs to inject the fat into the subcutaneous layer, the layer above the muscle. And now even in Florida, they're requiring that you do it under ultrasound guidance So you can make sure that that cannula that's injecting the fat is not in the muscle and it's in the subcutaneous fat. So really, if you're going to consider getting a BBL, you want a larger butt, you're into getting some lipo with it, make sure your surgeon is being very careful. They do a ton of these. You don't want somebody dabbling in your butt. That is not what you want. (laughs) If you're going to get a BBL, you need somebody who's an expert in the butt.
0: When I go for my BBL, I'm going to go to an expert. I don't want people just messing around down there. No, yeah, don't no, don't let anybody mess around down, down there, there for you. Well. Yeah, I'm not, I'm just kidding. I'm not <laughs> gonna get it done. That's a no for me. But all right, let's jump into, you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of every episode, we have your art of being well. This is Dr. Tony Yoon's Art of Being Well. First question is what's the worst tasting healthy food? It tastes freaking disgusting, but you still have it because it's so good. It has some amazing. You no, know, this health is science, people are gonna hate
1: it. this, but I'm gonna say, I'm not a big avocado guy really? Yeah. I don't know. Right. It. So the consistent, and I'm okay with guac, but yeah, just like avocado, <laughs> like in the smoothies and stuff. Like, I feel like it ruins yeah. my smoothie taste. So
0: <laughs> but I, know I s- love that answer. Cause I've never heard that before. Oh, it's but so I'll good it. for
1: you, but yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Maybe it's a texture thing. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, that's part of it. I think it's a, it's something with that. I don't know, but it's my wife loves avocados and it's just, it doesn't do it for me, but like this healthy and so many healthy fats, like if you're listening to this, eat your avocados, you do it. Don't listen to me. I'll still eat them. It's just, I just don't love it. Yeah.
0: That's why I said it, it, Yeah, exactly. You, that fits the criteria for you. I'll have it in my sushi. Um, like that's
1: fine. But yeah.
0: Oh, so good. I got, yeah. I get like beef sushi with avocado. So yeah. Good. All right. Next question is what's your dream vacation?
1: Oh, so we're actually going to go on what could be my dream vacation coming up. We're going to New Zealand in January, no, February. In February, we're going to New Zealand. We actually had this trip planned the summer of 2020
0: and we canceled
1: it because all the COVID craziness. And then we had this deposit that was going to expire at the end of this year. And so my wife and I literally decided a month before the deposit expired, like three years after we initially put it down, that we're going to go to New Zealand. We're bringing the kids, My, my son, who's a senior in high school. I promise him we'll go bungee jumping out there. So yes, yeah, so it's gonna it's be awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah. We
0: both have seniors in high school. This is oh. like big parenting moment, man. We're
1: going through it. It is. And it's like, I'm trying to savor every day and I'm trying Me not too. to go anywhere as you know, trying to stay home and make sure I'm there for all of this stuff. Cause I know that that time is, is getting shorter and shorter. I know it. Oh, it's I feel you, man, I'm, I'm right there. Yeah. It's
0: true. It's like my baby, where's, I, I know, but they're to so, carry him.
1: Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, you have a boy too. It's, but it's yeah. like, they're so big now and they're like adults and it's yeah, just so weird. It's so trippy. It's so weird to so like trippy. hug them and stuff. Cause he's like, <laughs> he's bigger than me. And like, Oh, but it's, it's I all know. just I, good stuff. I,
0: yeah, for sure. All right. Next question is, what's the weirdest or like more out there, out of the box, maybe controversial thing that you've done for your wellness that you're willing to admit on a podcast?
1: Yeah, I don't do really, really weird stuff. You know, I was in um, a mastermind group with JJ Virgin. She's a mentor of mine, good friend of mine. And one of the people in the uh, mastermind is a woman named Deborah, and she is an energy healer. And so she would have these sessions early in the morning, where you would lie on the ground, and she would come up to everybody and kind of energy heal them. And she loved having me come because here I'm the surgeon, you know, I feel like I don't know if you're a fan of the show Lost, Oh yeah, I was a huge yeah. fan of Lost. And I think she looked at me like Dr. Jack Shepard, like the scientist, <laughs> like the guy who, yeah. who's not into this alternative stuff and everything. And so I would lie there and she would go from person to person. We'd have our eyes closed, there'd be music playing. And then she would go to person to person, feeling their energy and healing them and stuff. And, and every time, honestly, Will, I'd be like lying there with my eyes closed. And the whole time I'd be wondering, is she above me? Is she above me? Am I feeling something? And I think it ruined it. I don't know. I didn't, and I told her, like, I think I felt something, but like, I don't know. Yeah, It's tough, but I, mean, I know it's it. something people that seem to be helped by it, but it mm-hmm. just, it's yeah. And I did it a bunch I of know. times. And of course she asked me, you know, like, what do you think? I'm like, oh, that was great. You know? And yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah. People tell me. It's
0: been a massive tool for them. When I've tried, like I have friends that are shamans. Of course, I'm in wellness. I have a lot yeah. of friends. And it's like, for me, it wasn't bad, but it was like relaxing. It wasn't like a game changer
1: for me. But maybe we don't
0: have a lot of things to be cleared. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, it's not like it my, my back
1: all of a sudden feels like less tight or anything. I just, but yeah. I don't know. And I think maybe it's just, I'm not, I'm not open enough. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, maybe uh, that's yeah. it. Maybe that's it. We're too, we're too
0: <laughs> cynical. Last question. What's a book that could be fiction, nonfiction book that you've read in the past year? that
1: was a really like insightful or paradigm shifting for you? Paradigm shifting. I think, I don't know I would say paradigm shifting, but something that I really enjoyed was The Tattooist of Auschwitz. I thought it was really interesting just because I have read uh, a lot of books lately about World War II. And this one I found interesting because I never heard his story before. And so for those people who haven't read, him, this is a huge seller, so most of you probably have heard about it, but it's about uh, a gentleman who was brought to the concentration camps, essentially survived by doing tattoos for people Mm. as they came into the concentration camp. And he had a romantic relationship while he was there and just, just a horrifying situation that he was put through and everything. So... You know, for me, I think that really affected me. I mean, I really find a lot of those stories from back then very fascinating and inspiring of what people have done. I think as far as health type books, uh, one of the books I've read recently was somebody who's been on your show recently is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I think her, her oh, book is great. fantastic and got me really thinking more about protein. And uh, I think that was a fantastic book. And then another one that I think mm. is great, also somebody who's been on your show, Cynthia Thurlow, uh, her book on mm. your fasting, I think is just fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We have, we have so many mutual friends. Yeah. Great, great people for sure. I love history and I love World War II, love learning about World War II history Yeah, and just learning from what we've got, what we went through as a, as a world. If I recommend anybody who hasn't watched the Netflix World War II in colors, oh, it yes. brings it to life. There's something about black and white in our modern world where we're, it's sort of distant, right? It seems otherworldly versus like knowing, no, that was my great grandfather. That was my grandfather. It's, I mean,
1: I, I saw that too, maybe a year or two ago. And yeah. it's fascinating. The other one, if you haven't seen that I learned so much from is the Vietnam documentary on PBS. That one yes, too, I, I just found fascinating because I didn't know much about Vietnam and to really learn mm-hmm. about what even like our parents and their generation went through and how it all came through with Lyndon Johnson and you know, how mm-hmm. it started with Kennedy and then went to Lyndon Johnson and then Nixon. A lot of this, I never even knew and how mm-hmm. it became just such a horrible quagmire, just fascinating, fascinating documentary. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love that World War II and color. I thought you, yeah. you learned so much from it. I wish I could retain, like I could retain medical stuff, but I can't retain historical things. like. You know, some people, they're like, oh, yeah, back in 1946, this happened. Like, I don't remember the years or anything, but I do find it really interesting. <laughs> yeah, dude, we're like
0: the same type of person. Ken Burns. Ken Burns is, yes. Yeah. yes. I love all of Ken Burns' PBS documentaries. He has one on uh, the Roosevelts that was great. Mm. I mean, watch all of Ken Burns' documentaries. They're just, it's he's an amazing filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy, we should have our own history podcast. All right, man, where can, can people get the book? Where do they go to learn about your work?
1: So I always encourage people, if you're going to buy a book uh, online, to go to Uh, bookshop.org. Bookshop.org is a website, basically a book website that supports your local bookseller. And so when you go to it, up in the upper right corner, it says choose your bookstore. So choose your local bookstore. And that book that you order, that profit off that will go directly to your local bookseller, your independent bookstore. Um, otherwise, it's available everywhere. It's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the big box stores. I do encourage you to go to autojuvenation.com if you do buy it, autojuvenation.com, all one word. And we have a ton of free gifts if you pre-order or you buy the book, depending on when this comes out. And that includes a companion recipe book with 10 additional recipes that aren't in the book. And a $30 gift certificate to my online store, Yoon Beauty. We ha- we sell natural and organic skincare products and supplements. So it'll help pay for the price of the book and more. Love it. I'll put the
0: links to everything we talked about in today's show notes. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, you. my friend. Come back anytime.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, this is fun.